it's interesting as Father's Day has come up, and as I've said before, if I'm in the middle of a study of a book like Ephesians, I may not stop and have a Father's Day sermon. We did not have a Mother's Day sermon. However, we, we just finished the book. It, if, it, we, if we could have just kept it going, and believe me, I could have, but uh, we could have just kept it going, well, then the fathers would have been able to not have a Father's Day message, but I think they will be blessed by this. I'm going to talk about King David, a man after God's own heart. Now, why King David? Well, I'll be honest with you. We've been in the book of First Kings and Second Kings for quite some time. And even though First Kings and Second Kings is not about David, First and Second Samuel are more about David. David is just in the beginning of First Kings. David is alive in First and Second Kings. David is alive because every king, whether it's the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, is judged by the standard of David. And so he will either be one who says you walked in the ways of David or you did not walk in the ways of David. And I thought he would be the one that I would want to maybe preach on a Father's Day sermon. Let me read a couple of quotes here from a website that is from Orthodox Hasidic Jews. Who better to find out about David than the Jewish people? And by the way, uh, I, I, I think I said this before, but when we were over there in Israel and we were coming through the Jaffa Gate, um, there at the Jaffa Gate was a young girl who was dressed in a white robe and she was playing a harp. And it made us all think of, you know, David and playing, played the lyre. Well, the quote goes this way. King David is one of the most well-known figures in Jewish history. His life was filled with much happiness and much pain. He is known by many titles, David the Conqueror, David the Pious Man, David the Sweet Singer, David the Shepherd, and David the Penitent. King David was a descendant of Judah as well as Ruth, and was promised by God that his lineage would rule Israel forever. Until this very day, he is remembered by Jews everywhere who still chant his psalms in prayer in times of joy and sorrow. To the Jewish people, King David is not dead, metaphorically. His memory lives on forever in his book of psalms. And, interesting, again, these are the Orthodox Jews, and in the messianic hope of Israel. Oh, if we could only tell them that he's come, that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. For as our prophets have promised us, Messiah will be a descendant of David, king of Israel. And he is, and he has come. Well, what I'd like to go over is not only his introduction, but also his ascent. I think everybody knows about David, but we'll go over just a few things, how he went from a shepherd boy to king. 
We'll talk about his status. And this is the idea of a biblical status, uh, how he's viewed by other Jewish people, how he's viewed by God, his status. And then I want to talk about his heart. Basically, that it was a heart after God. I want to explain what that phrase means. And then I want to give some examples, some examples of what it means to be a man after God's own heart from David's faith, David's humility, David's integrity, David's repentance, and David's worship. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you, thank you for your scriptures. Father, as we've been going through the book of First and Second Kings, we see examples and we take lessons from there of how we ought to live our life and in other cases how we should not live our life. But David would be one of those ones that we emulate, emulate his integrity. We know, Father, that he was not perfect, a sinner just like us, and yet it was his repentance, the way he repented, that made the difference for him, that he still considered a man after God's own heart. Would you teach us? Would you apply this to our hearts, especially us as fathers here today? And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just quickly, the idea of his ascent, and you cannot put in here every detail about David's life. And as I began studying for this at the beginning of the week, it was like, wow, what did, I, what did I do here? I really took a bite off of something that is large. But I'm just going to give a basic. It began with, with Saul, King Saul being the first king of Israel. But King Saul was not obedient He was not obedient with sacrifices, and he was not obedient when he was told to destroy the Amalekites, which he did not. Well, it was at that time that the Lord said to him, and of course the verse was read this morning, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. In other words, David was um, uh, Saul wasn't a man after God's own heart, but who was David? And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, Samuel then goes to the house of Jesse, wants to see his sons. None of the sons are the the favored one, and so then. David is brought, and he anoints David as king. Now, even though he was anointed as king, he didn't begin to start his reign at that point. He was still kind of the shepherd boy. And there was a a progress, an ascent, if you will. And he was called at that point to come and play his lyre or his harp for Saul when when Saul was visited by an evil spirit and so proficient and so godly a a young man as David, that the evil spirit would leave. He would go back and forth to his father, Jesse, intending the the sheep, but he would also go back, and at that point, Saul loved him. And on one trip, when he was bringing bread and food for his brothers and some of the people, that's when Goliath entered the picture. And all of the soldiers 
were afraid to go out and meet him. And if you could paraphrase this, when David heard this, he was indignant for how he had dis- how the Philistine Goliath how had despised his God, and he was he was set to the quick. He was ready to go after him. In fact, it says in Scripture that he ran to the battle once it was determined that he would go. Well, it went on after he defeated Goliath, and then all of a sudden everybody else had courage. David was very instrumental, became Saul's armor bearer and was loved by Saul. But David's fame and David's exploits began to emerge. And at this, Saul became very jealous and hated him and tried to kill David. But David did not usurp his authority, did not usurp Saul's authority, nor did he kill King Saul when he had an opportunity. Saul was eventually killed in battle. David then was already anointed king, and he became the king. And David reigned over Israel, all of Israel, not one kingdom and then another that are split. He reigned over Israel for 40 years. Seven were in Hebron. 33 were in Jerusalem, the city of David. Well, let me just talk for a moment then. We see that, and of course, there's many other exploits, and you're probably saying, well, what about this, or what about that, and you're right. But I want to get to the heart of the sermon, which is David's heart. So let's work our way. But first of all, what about his status? So as I said, as we're going through the book of First and Second Kings, uh, the kings will uh, have, have an epitaph, and it will say they followed the Lord all the days of their life, just like David, uh, except there weren't very many of those, only a handful. But most of them, the majority of them, said, you did not follow the Lord, you did not keep his commandments, as did David. So it's very clear that David was the standard for all of these kings, because he was indeed a man after God's own heart. In fact, there were some kings who did evil and were spared because God spared them for the sake of David. Just quickly in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 19, it says, However, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he had promised to give him a lamp th- through his sons always. And so we, we see this and we see his status and the great status he has in Scripture. Well, we also know that Jerusalem is called the city of David. David loved Jerusalem. He conquered Jabus, which became Jerusalem. He conquered that and loved it so much that he called it the city of David. How would you like to name a city after yourself? But it was because he loved it. And, of course, that's where the temple was eventually going to be built by his son Solomon. Well, it was sometime during that time in his reign that the Lord came to him through Samuel and said, I am going to establish your throne forever. And that is called the Davidic covenant. And that is so important. We've talked about that on many occasions from different angles. But in 2 uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, it says, your house And your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. 
And of course, that also goes into the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Who's going to be the king that's going to establish his line, his own line, all of them being in the line of David? And so even David's line is thought about as a status because there's a couple of times when a king does evil, God says, that's it. I am going to cut off you and your whole lineage, your whole heritage that you will never, nor will any of your offspring ever sit on the throne of David again. And that is the way that it was talked about. And so even the line was important. Well, the book of First and Second Kings is over. The line of those kings is over. But there is one who will fulfill this, literally sit on David's throne. When he was born, the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel said of him, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So there will be an establishment of David's throne forever through the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that will begin in the millennium. And then that's a thousand years. And then after the millennium, it will be for all eternity. But that's just to show us how important that David was in the Bible. Now, there's an elephant in the room. And I'm undecided when I want to reveal the elephant, but I don't need to reveal the elephant because everybody's thinking of the elephant. What's the elephant? Yeah, but didn't David sin? Yes. And we will get to that. We will get to that that even though he sinned, he was still and always called a man after God's own heart. So what's so special about David and what's so special about having a heart after God that would make someone who even sinned in a very severe way multiple times, what would be so special about him that he could still have a covenant that there would be someone on his throne? How could he still be considered this man by which all kings are measured? Well, let's find out. What is it, what does it mean to be a man or woman after God's own heart? One writes, what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? It means that you are a person whose life is in harmony with the Lord. It's not external, it's internal. Harmony with the Lord and harmony with the Lord's heart. What is important to him, that's God, is important to you. What burdens him burdens you. You ever think about that? What breaks God's heart? What burdens his heart? I think we have an idea of that from scripture. It's when mankind sins and even when we as believers sin, it breaks his heart. It's a burden. But he's sovereign. He's in control. It wasn't a surprise. It also means when he says go to the right, you go to the right. When he says Stop that in your life, you stop it. When he says, this is wrong, and I want you to change, you come to terms with it. 
Because you have a heart for God. That is bottom line biblical Christianity. Chuck Swindoll. Now I'd like you to turn to a verse in 2 Chronicles. If there was a verse that could help us explain part of this idea of a man after God's own heart, let's explain it from God's point of view. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it reads this way. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. He's looking, looking, looking. That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So he's looking for people whose hearts are completely God's. They've given their heart completely, every area of that heart, and wholeheartedly with that heart, to find out about God's heart and then do God's heart, God's will. So, when you are a person or a man, a father, after God's heart, you give yourself completely to him, his word, and his will. When you are a man after God's heart, you are deeply sensitive to and concerned about the things of God for yourself and for others. That's what it means. Now, I'd like to just talk about the aspects. Because if you look in the verses in the book of Kings and other places where it talks about David being a man after God's own heart, or telling these other kings, why couldn't you be like David? It gives qualifications of how they're not like David and how they're not a man after God's own heart. So as we read earlier, the idea that I'm thinking about is, first of all, God was looking for a man whose heart was after his own. And of course, he had found him in David. Well, the first thing that I'm going to say, and by the way, these may sound general, but that's all right. And, and when the general is repeated in scripture, it's not so general. In other words, do I have to say it again, God says? Did you not get it the first time? So these we've heard before, and as we've been studying through First and Second Kings, we certainly see that uh, these are mentioned, and, and, and they are somewhat general, but I'll read them. First of all, it's to do all God's will. Secondly, to be a man after God's own heart, you must obey his word. And we probably could have figured that one out on our own. Thirdly, you are wholly devoted. Wholly devoted, not partially devoted, but wholly devoted to God. And fourthly, you are someone who does right in the eyes of the Lord, which is a statement that's used all the time in First and Second Kings. Usually it's they did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes it is in the beginning they were doing right in the eyes of the Lord and we're cheering them on. Like we're cheering on our sports team. Yeah, go, go, you're winning, we're ahead. And then only to find out, oh, how could you do it? But they ended up not serving the Lord. I certainly think of one of the kings who was doing what was right before the Lord and even had a great victory over Edom. And then began to worship Edom's gods. 
What's so incredible about that is in the Old Testament, it's always been the nation that wins this battle is the nation's God who is mighty. And of course, there are no other gods. And yet here's a guy who started out right before the eyes of the Lord and begins to worship these false gods. He did not end up well. He did not continue to do what was right. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the first one. You do all of God's will. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And here is the Apostle Paul preaching, and he mentions David. And in verse 22, this is what he says about David. Of course, he uses David as a springboard to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's always about. Verse 22, after he removed him, that's Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, so here's, here's Paul preaching this and saying, this is still true. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And the key there is with King Saul, who was told to destroy the Amalekites and did not. And from then on was always plagued. Israel was always plagued by the Amalekites. But he spared the king and he took all of the good produce and agriculture and livestock. Wasn't supposed to do that. He just wouldn't do God's will. He wouldn't do all God's will. He did go over, he won the battle. But he didn't do all God's will. Here, it says, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. As we're thinking about this, let me go just a little deeper. I know it's a general term and we talk about doing the will of God, but what is the will of God? The will of God is God's heart. What is in his heart, his holy heart, his righteous heart, his merciful heart, what is in his heart is his will. And it's expressed in his, his word. So when we think about the word, don't look at the word as if God said, well, let me, let me see here. Let's, uh, let's get the Trinity together and we'll decide, hey, we'll be some good laws. When he writes the law, when he writes his word, it comes from his character. It comes from his heart. And so to be a man after God's own heart, you have to have a desire to seek God's heart, to find out what his will is. And, and so it becomes more of, okay, I did this today. Check this off the list. It becomes a heartfelt thing. We begin to see now, this is under the surface. This, you know, this is... This just really goes beyond it when he was a man after God's own heart. He's going to do all of God's will because he loves God, because he's a man after his heart, and his will is his heart, and he's going to do his heart. There were not many kings like that. The second one is to obey his word. So you not only want to know his heart, his will, then you want to do it. It would be bad to say, yeah, you know, We've, we've studied all the things we're supposed to do. Great, wonderful, I'm so glad. And are you doing them? Well, no. Well, that, where's your heart? So when comparing to these other kings, 
it would often say, not like David, who obeyed his commandments. I'll ask you to turn now to 1 Kings. Let's go into 1 Kings. This is really what prompted this study, is seeing all of these references to King David. And by the way, this is to his son, King Solomon. And this is what it said when Solomon started. And when, it, when he started, he started out right, right before the Lord. It says, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, I will prolong your days. Sad to say that he did not. Solomon did not. Solomon, in the end of his life, listened to all of his foreign wives who served other gods, and he accommodated them to serve these other gods, and they moved his heart away from the Lord. We think at times maybe the book of Ecclesiastes shows us that his heart was brought back. I don't know, but the, the point here is he did not eventually have the heart of David. Only David had the heart of David. And so it comes to, you, you, you have the idea, if you truly love God, you want to obey God. You don't want to do anything that will displease him, no matter how insignificant or how small. I love you, Lord, and I don't want to bring any dishonor to you. It would kill me to bring dishonor to you. Dishonoring me, yeah, but as a believer, it's also dishonoring to God. But you want to obey his word. And again, it's not a law. It's not a law to where you check off and say, well, I've accomplished these things today. Now I can go to sleep. No, it's, you did it because you love the Lord, because you want to please him to obey his word. The third thing for being a man after God's own heart is to be wholly devoted. It means your heart is completely his and this word is sometimes used in regard to a relationship. And this is, this is where I get excited. This is what I, I love about this. So we're not just doing church. We're not just reading scripture. We're not just talking about it and then saying goodbye. We're trying to work on our relationship with the Lord. We want to be wholly devoted to the Lord. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, and I'm not picking on him, but we read Solomon again. It said, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And by the way, that was numero uno problem in First and Second Kings. If you did that, God was done with you. God had told them that, the kings. But he had told them that centuries before in Deuteronomy. He was always telling Israel, if you follow after me with your whole heart, and at that point, what it usually meant was, and not also at the same time, think of that, going after these false gods. He would warn them that he would bring discipline upon them. If they did not turn, eventually a foreign nation would come after them and would take them into captivity, and it did for the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. We haven't got that far, so if, you, if you're attending that class, just close your ears. I didn't mean to give you a spoiler alert there. I'm jesting. So it, it, it reads this way. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not 
wholly devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of, who do you think? David, his father, had been. By the way, we can see David's heart in all aspects of praise and also in penitence from the book of Psalms. It is a great, great book that shows the heart of this man. Well, next we come to that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And again, I know, the elephant in the room now is blowing his trumpet, blowing his nose, and, and we're saying, yeah, but he didn't always do what was right. That's right, but he made it right. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Always doing what was right. And of course, these kings then would be judged. In Second Kings, <clears throat> 22, verse 2, it says, talking about one of the kings, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father, David. Now, David wasn't his father, uh, his, his immediate father, but this meant his lineage. Nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. And so the idea is he, he did what's right in the eyes of the Lord and he walked in the way that he should have. He did what was right. Why, why did David do that? Because he had a passion for the Lord. He had a passion for everything about the Lord. He had a passion for God's heart, for God's will. If God said this was right, he had a passion for this, this was right. And you know what? When he did sin, he was broken. He was broken. And many of the kings were not. Many of the kings didn't even confess their sin. Many of the kings didn't even care. But, but if you're a man after God's own heart, you're concerned only with what the Lord thinks and what's close to the Lord's heart as to what is right. You're not influenced by your own human viewpoint. Well, I'm going to justify myself here. No, you're not. Not do that and do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And you're not going to follow the viewpoint of others. And if I could just say this, we, we do live in some extraordinary times where peer pressure, I have never seen it like this, where peer pressure and personal morality is causing businesses and empires to submit. And so what is right is by peer pressure now, peer pressure that is not going on according to God's heart, God's will, God's word. But the man of God, the woman of God, the person after God's own heart, the father after God's own heart, you're going to stand. You're going to stand anyway, alone, if you have to. You're not going to give in to this. You're going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And then finally, to conclude this part of it, just the aspects, what is David's heart? Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 8. This is what Tim read this morning. He has multiple, these multiple qualifications in this one verse to describe David. And in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 8, it says, And tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Yet you have not been like my servant David, who, here we go, First of all, kept my commandments. Who followed me with all his heart. Number two, 
And thirdly, to do only that which was right in my sight. So if you want to know what that phrase means, the scriptures qualify it. But you have to also understand, don't look at them as general terms. Look at them as that which is done out of a heart of passion for the Lord. That's what it is. And so talking about doing the will of the Lord should never be tiresome because I love the Lord and I want to do what the Lord wants me to do according to his heart, his will, his word. Well, we have some time left. And I want to look at some of David's examples. And these are examples of David's character but I think also examples of how David could be a man after God's own heart, how he was a man after God's own heart. And we'll be looking at the particular scriptures. Well, the first one I want to talk about is David's faith. And I'm going to talk about David and Goliath. But I just want to preface this by when we do think of David, we think of David as having great courage, and he did. Um, uncommon courage, but it was because of his faith in God. It wasn't that he was just a bold guy, reckless guy. The reason for his great courage was his great faith in God and his great respect for God and his desire to honor God. And now I'd like you to turn to 1 Samuel, which does talk about David a lot. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and this is spectacular in its own right. They're probably, it's a good Father's Day message because we're going to talk about lions and bears and survival. That's always good stuff. But just think of the boldness of young David while he was tending his father's sheep. Some even say that when he killed Goliath, he may have been as young as 16 years old which means this other stuff happened. But let's just look at his courage, but rather let's look at his faith. And of course, this is why he's, while he's arguing, please let me go after this, this Philistine dog. Let me go after him. No one else was going. I will go. He needs to know that God is God. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 34, But David said to Saul, well, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. Oh, well, sorry, dad. Sorry, dad, that predator came and he took him. Nothing I could do about it. You didn't want me to go. You didn't want me to go stop that lion or bear, would you? Verse 35, I went out after him and I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. So we're not talking about, you know, killing lions here, killing lions with a bare hand and these things. He says, your servant, and he's arguing, please let me go after this Philistine dog. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. 
That's what it was about. Really, the whole, the whole event of, of David and Goliath, though he's a good marksman, we will give him that. It's about the honor and the glory of God. And so this is what he had a passion And so he had a passion for God's heart, which made him have a passion to defend God, though God doesn't need to be defended, but they were being called out. And as we read on, drop down to verses 45. Drop down to verse 45. Now he's going to have an exchange with the uncircumcised Philistine. It says, verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine who'd been kind of mocking David. And the Philistine said, am I a dog that you would send a boy? And the answer is, yeah, you're a Gentile dog. And if you're from the South, you're a Gentile dog. Three syllables. It says, you came to, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. And by the way, it doesn't even mention how big he is. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. You're in trouble, buddy. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is David. This is David's heart. I know we see this about the lions and Goliath, but this is his heart. This is what fires the engine of his heart. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48. If that isn't enough, you know, men, fathers, when we talk about the struggles in our lives, the Goliaths in our life, if we could just muster verse 46 and 47, we would do well. But look what David did. Verse 48. Then it happened when the Philistine rose. All right, you made him mad. He's going to fight. And he came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward, toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Wow, I, um, you just don't see that anymore. Not only did he go to the battlefield in the name of the Lord, but he ran to it. And this was his great heart. And faith in the Lord. We begin to see David, a man after God's own heart. And you know what? What would God think about this? He's looking at his army, Israel, and not one of these soldiers, these, these uh, you know, very qualified soldiers are, are coming forward. Would God have done the same thing for them? I believe so. But they did not go. But David went. So again, how do we apply that? Well, men, there are a lot of things that we run up against, and, and it's, it's hard. And, and believe me, you know, I kind of thought when I was a young, much younger man that when you get older, it gets easier. It doesn't. Just, just letting you know that. Spoiler alert, okay? It doesn't get any easier. 
But when you are called to do a task that's, that's too difficult to do, it's a Goliath. And we need to change our attitude and meet the Goliath. When it seems like whatever we're involved in, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. How long will this go on? I can't take it anymore. That's when we need to stand up as a man, a man of God, a man after God's own heart, and tackle this Goliath. If it's a struggle with a besetting sin, besetting means It's reoccurring, and you haven't gotten victory over it. You need to stand up to this Goliath. How? Go back and listen to the sermons of the book of Ephesians. But in all of these, you continue on. You take it on. You meet it on. What about spiritual warfare? We just talked about that in Ephesians chapter 6. It's too much. I can't. I might as well just fold. Let's fall. I mean, look at all the enemies. And there are more and more enemies all the time. Let's just fold. It's not worth it. Please, Lord, let that never come out of my lips. It's not worth it. Are you kidding me? People's lives can get saved. People can grow in the Lord. People can be equipped to stand. If you, as a person after God's own heart, or a man after God's own heart, will stand in the gap, or it says... In the scriptures in the New Testament, act like men. Not like little boys. Not like little boys. But men who are going to be on the front line. And maybe even run to the battle like David did with all of the Goliaths in our life. And let me just add one thing. Let's just put this into ministry. I mean... We can have our own trials just alone in our lives. But, but what about ministry? We, we can feel this way about ministry. What if there are a lot of people coming to our particular ministry? I, I know I've certainly dealt with that. I, I know others have dealt with that. What do you do? You know what? You stand there to the battle. I'm going to prepare whether there's one or 100 of course, you heard about the you heard about the rancher that came to church one day, and he was the only one that came to church. And the pastor said, "I don't know what to do. Maybe we should, maybe we should, you know, close down for next Sunday." And the rancher, in his ranch wisdom, said, "Well, when I go out to feed, I feed them anyway, whether one shows up or a hundred. And the preacher says, "You're right. You're right." All right, you just sit there. And he gets up there and he preaches and he's going. And, and you know he goes over the time. Any, any preacher worth his salt will go over the time limit. And he's just going on and on and on. And when he's done, he walks up to the rancher and says, what do you think? What do you think? And the rancher said, well, when I said I'd, I said I'd feed him I, and the only one showed up, I didn't mean I'd give him the whole truckload. But, but it's those kinds of things. Or it's ministry where nobody's listening. Maybe, maybe they're coming, but nobody's listening. Or it, it just seems to be more spiritual battle than it does good. What do you do, men? You stand. That's what God has called you to do. And speaking for myself as a pastor in the elder board, we need you to stand too. And we need you to pray for us that we stand. Because we should all have a passion for God and a love for God. 
a strong faith that makes us bold and courageous. Well, the next one is David's humility. And a man after God's own heart is a man of humility. It's not about my heart or what I want. It's about God's heart, what he wants. And so I decrease that he may increase. But one of the things that was so interesting is that when David was told, so he had, he had been going up the ladder of success, the godly ladder of success. Samuel came to him and said what God was promising, that he was going to have someone on his throne from his lineage forever. And this is David's response. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 to 21. Then David, the king, went in and sat before the Lord. Let's just stop right there. That's a sermon all in itself. There it is. There it is. He went to the Lord. He went to the Lord. That's where our faith comes from, going to the Lord. That's where our might comes from, going to the Lord. Whether it's a success or whether it's a failure, that's where we ought to be. That's what a man who's after God's heart is, is doing. And he went in and sat before the Lord and said to the Lord, Lord, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? What can I say to you, Lord? I I don't understand. I'm, I'm of humble means. Everything that I've accomplished, I've accomplished through you. You've accomplished it. I'm just along for the ride. And you know your servant, O Lord God. Verse 21. For the sake of your word, and listen, and according to your own heart. There it is. How much do we often talk about God's heart? That's what it's about, to be a man after God's own heart. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. And so there's a a tremendous amount of humility there where we must give God the glory for any success. And I'm thinking spiritually, whether personally or in ministry or whatever, we must give God the glory. And we do. We should. We should continue to do that. By the way, in John 15, I quote this a lot. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. That's, that's the right kind of humble thinking. But another example of his humility was he was anointed as king as a young boy, maybe 16. But he wasn't king yet, but he went and served the king. Even though he was told he was anointed as king, there still was another king, and he's going to do, it's the Lord's anointed and he's not going to bring any harm to the Lord's anointed, and he's going to serve the Lord's anointed. And, of course, he did serve him by playing the harp, and he served him also by being his armor bearer. And then he served him by by being in charge of the army. And then there was even a time when Saul got so jealous, and he was trying to kill David, and they were told that he was in the garden of En Gedi, beautiful place, They hid in the caves. 
while Saul and his army came in. And Saul, and this is scripture, I, I mean, I suppose we, we chuckle at this, but this, is, this, is, this only makes sense this way, it says that he went to relieve himself, so you go privately. And there, David was able to sneak up on him and cut part of his apparel. And later tell him, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because he was still serving the Lord and he was humble. Even though I've been anointed the king, I'm not the king yet. And when Saul did eventually die, he grieved for Saul. So a man, after God's own heart, will manifest it by waiting on God's sovereign timing. And he will serve in the meantime. Sometimes life's events happen unexpectedly in ways we would not want them to go. You know, if, if, if it happens unexpectedly in a way we want it to go, hey, great. You don't hear many complaints. Hopefully there's many praises, though. But when things happen unexpectedly that go the way we don't want them to go, where are we? We should be humble at that point. God is in control. God is sovereign. You know, sometimes there's changes in our lives. Changes in locations. Changes with people coming into your life and going out of your life. What about then? Humble. It's God who's doing it. What about a different direction than God had planned? What about that? I can't take it. It just drives me crazy. I'm trying to figure this out. It's going in a different direction. It's not going in my direction. That's not humble. As if, as if to say, it's all about me and my direction, and I'll tell God where I'm, which direction I'm going. No. You humbly accept God's sovereignty. What about disasters? And, of course, I'm sorry, but I'm thinking of the Rickett family right now. You know, direction changed, changed lives. I mean, it wasn't you specifically that I wrote these things, but I can't help think of you through this. What about disasters? And yet, isn't it interesting to see at the end of those disasters how God's hand was in it all? And, and, and our humility ought to be in the beginning of it, to see it all. We must be humble and content waiting on God's sovereignty and his timing. We do this out of humility. We give him all of the credit for, for any success in our lives well, next we go to David's integrity. And this is going to be a twofold integrity. The first kind is the upright integrity. The second one is what you do when you sin. How can you still maintain integrity even after you've sinned? Well, first of all, the integrity there, I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 9. Because this also is a description and a qualification of a man after God's own heart. Because look at what it says about David. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. It says, As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in the integrity of his heart, let me stop. David has died by this point. So it's not as if God said, yeah, he was a man after my own heart. Then he sinned. That, that's not happening here. He's dead by this point. He's still comparing the other kings by him. In fact, 
it says in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except, he's going to point out one major sin, not that the others aren't sin, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite, the murder of Uriah the Hittite. So God is not excusing sin, but God is still saying, this man is still a man after my own heart. And so that's what it says here. So it says, walking in the integrity and the uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Integrity, uprightness, it means to be complete, not perfect, but it means to be complete in what you're obeying the Lord and what you're doing and upright. And it's of the heart. It's of the heart as well. It's not just externals. It's also what's in your heart, the motives and and the relationship that you have with the Lord, the ongoing relationship. And I think, I guess at the end of the day, if we don't get anything out of this, that's what I want us to understand is the relationship with the Lord that David had. It was it was a love relationship. And so this is what was the, the, the driving force of his integrity and uprightness. He says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Wow. But what about, let's bring out the elephant now. I haven't named the elephant but he's certainly been in the room. As I was studying this, not only was it in my own mind, but as I would come across different writings of different men, it was brought up by everyone. And many times it was led with that. And I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to really lead with it, but I do want to deal with it. David's repentance. Now, David was a sinner just like us, no question about it. The scriptures record several of his sins How about when he took an unwarranted census and wasn't supposed to? Now, God had asked several people to take censuses in the scriptures, hence the book Numbers, and also Ezra as well. But he didn't want David to take it at this time, and David seems to be taking it purely for his own pride, perhaps, sin of pride, or his faith is not so much in God anymore as it, it's in his army. But he wasn't asked to take the census, but he took it anyway, and it was sin. And about 70,000 ended up dying. I'm also going to talk about quickly the results of David's sin. It's not as if he was a man after God's own heart. He sinned but never got punished for That's that. Well, I'm not saying that at all. How about he committed adultery? That's the one we're probably all thinking about. But scripture goes one step beyond, says he committed murder, took the life of someone, someone who was created in the image of God, and he took his life, not in war or self-defense, but in selfishness and lust. Well, what were the results of David's sin? Wow. You know, you hear sermons about this. You, you, you could preach a sermon on David's dysfunctional family and all that happened, but it happened because he did not always obey the Lord. 
We see the pestilence that came upon 70,000 of Israel. We saw that there would from them be violence, the sword in his own house. His child died, the child of the illicit relationship, physical relationship outside the bounds of matrimony is sin. It's always been sin and it will always be sin. And you can't say, well, I love the person or the person loves me and the person needs to be loved. I'm sorry. We're people after God's own heart here. The child died. There was also incest and rape in the family. And there was rebellion in the family by Absalom who wanted to kill David. And when, when he sent the soldiers after Absalom, he said, don't kill him. And they killed him. And when they came back to David, he mourned. We see the results of the sin. But what about what's different then between David and all these other kings when they are told? And, and it is very interesting. In the book of First and Second Kings, that's usually what happens. A prophet will come and say, you're messing up here. You have time to turn right now, and they don't. Like the one king when he said about, you know, you need to go and be determined and be bold and courageous like David, and go ahead, pull an arrow back. And he pulls an arrow back, and it, and it goes far and hits the ground. He says, the victory is the Lord's. Now go, pull more, pull more. And he gets two more arrows out and shoots. The prophet was upset. You should have gotten the whole quiver out. But he didn't. It was David's repentance towards his sin that made him upright and a person of integrity. Not that he didn't sin, not that it wasn't sin, not that there weren't results of that sin, but no one repents like a person after God's heart. No one repents like that. I mean, you compare normal repentance to a repentance of a person who loves the Lord. And we find... We find it even recorded in the Psalms. David confessed his sin to God once it was brought to his attention in some instances. He took full responsibility. By the way, there were times when when he just was convicted of it, didn't need a, a prophet to tell him. He took full responsibility for it. And I'm just going to read Psalm 51, 1 through 4. You can read along if you like. But it even begins a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. No other reason. I don't deserve it. But by you and your character, your heart, blot out my transgressions. Lord, I hate my sin doesn't say that, but then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I can't stand it anymore. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Wow. That is a heart after God. Not a perfect man, 
but a heart after God who has sinned and then repents, even though there are consequences as well. One writes this, David is constantly presented in Kings as the standard by which other kings were to act and be judged. This was not because David had not sinned, but rather because he repented appropriately from his sin. And because sin did not continue as a pattern of his life. Having a heart after God doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're sensitive to God's holiness. It means that God's holiness and his word are important to you, even if that means you're wrong. Therefore, you come to terms with it. You face it. You confess it. You turn to God away from sin. That is the repentance of David that gives him the integrity and the title of a man after God's own heart. And then finally, another one, a highlight is David's worship. No one worshiped like David. No one loved the Lord like David, it seems, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But David's heart is especially revealed in the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms uh, included in the Bible, uh, the majority of which were written by David. It begins with praise. The Psalms express David's heart in the praise and adoration of God. If you love someone, that's what you're doing, especially when they're perfect, especially when they're holy. You can't help but praise God, exalt God, glorify God. Write things like, you are holy. You who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He's enthroned upon the praises. The praises are what are there beside him. Or bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Or how about this? Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Wow, that almost seems humanly unattainable. And yet that's what David writes. And so the praise that he gives, the exaltation, and it's not just that. We know he he does become discouraged and we see that. We know that at times he has to encourage himself and encourage his soul because he even says, oh soul, be encouraged. And we just see his love come pouring out for the Lord. And this is through thick and thin, through victories, through failures. And this is what we ought to have. And men, you need to lead your family in worship. You need to lead your family in worship and praise to give everyone there an opportunity to praise the Lord and something to praise the Lord about. You know, that's what we do on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, we basically say, what are we thankful for that the Lord has given us? Well, let's do that in reverse. Let's say, what are we thankful for about the Lord and praise him? I will also say this quickly. It has to go without not being mentioned. He also meditated on the word of God day and night. And I would even say, if you're saying, well, how do I become, okay, I've got these principles. I'm going to try to put them into practice. Is there anything else that can help me? You know what I'm going to say. Meditate, meditate on scripture. Memorize and meditate on scripture. 
the very first psalm, at least called the very first psalm. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. There it is. That's why David was who David was, because of the word of God. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. You'll be mature. You'll know what to do. God will give you the grace and the power to do it. And its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. That's spiritually. Whatever he does will prosper spiritually in the sense that you are obeying the Lord. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. You see it? You see the connection, meditation on scripture and the follow through with obedience? Not to mention things like, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. We see those things as well. So let me, let me make a conclusion then. We see David's heart. It obeyed all the will of God. He obeyed his word. He wholeheartedly served him. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord because he had a heart to do it. And he had integrity and uprightness, which also includes the proper repentance. David, his examples of his great faith or great courage or courage with faith against the Goliaths. His humility, he did not think great of himself, but he thought of, great, of, of the greatness of God. David's integrity, he tried, he tried. And you know, there's a part of Christianity who can say, at least, at least that's what we're trying to do, is try. And of course, God helps us. And then David's repentance and David's worship. What can we learn from David? A man after God's own heart. We can learn that when we face Goliaths, of all sorts in our lives, that we don't become faint-hearted, but face the battle. Run to the battle with a solid faith in God and his might. We can learn that after all the battles are finished and the smoke clears, it is God alone who is standing victor and receives all the glory, and we give him all the credit and the glory. We can learn that we are to completely give our heart to God. We are to love him and serve him and seek his heart, his will, putting his word into practice. We can learn that when we sin, when we are convicted of sin before God, we are to turn to him. Acknowledge, that's what it means when it says confess your sins to God. You acknowledge that you've sinned. Acknowledge our sin before him and purpose to turn away from sin. I'm going to serve you, Lord. I don't want to displease you, Lord. I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to to try to repeat that again. By your grace, I won't. And then we can learn that our greatest treasure here is, this last one is the one that gets me. It's the one that truly describes someone after God's own heart. We can learn that our greatest treasure is in heaven and on the earth in the Lord himself. And we can bring glory to him by having a heart of exaltation. We can enthrone him 
in these praises and have a heart that meditates on his word day and night. Men, this is as much a challenge to me as it is to you that we must be like David. Men after God's own heart. Our family will see it and our family will respond. Oh God, would you help us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we certainly put our entire faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Father, if there's one here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, has never come to him and said, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would work on that individual's heart. Lord, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ as our example to be Christ-like. There's no doubt about it. But Father, we have to appreciate someone like David who is like us, human, and also with a sinful nature. And yet, we can still respond and please you. We can respond and be men after God's own heart. Oh, Lord, help us to do that. Help us with our relationship with you, Lord. Turn it into a heart of love for you and not an external kind of obedience. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll I'll pray for all these men and lift these men with myself right up there with them to help us to be like this. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.